We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 523 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 8, 2023. It is the day after the conclusion of the meeting before the meeting. Beginning on Monday and ending on Tuesday were NFL committee meetings in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, these meetings served as a precursor to the NFL's annual league meeting, which will take place in Phoenix, Arizona, March 26th through the 29th. It is at that annual league meeting uh, that we have long anticipated potential resolution or, at the very least, major news on the sale of the commanders. Now, the Associated Press on February 28th reported that the future of commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder was going to be on the agenda at these now-concluded committee meetings. And sure enough, the Washington Post on Tuesday night reported that NFL owners, per three sources during these two days of committee meetings in West Palm Beach, discussed the potential sale of the commanders and other issues related to Dan Snyder, but made no decisions about a prospective removal vote of the Danny. Uh, the Post also reported that the team's other co-owner and co-CEO, Tanya Snyder, wife, of the Danny, attended the committee meetings. You know, West Palm Beach, Florida is the site of national spring training. Do you think that Tanya stopped by Nats camp? Do you think that Tanya said hello to Nats manager Davey Martinez and the boys? Did Tanya at any point say that she is proud of the boys? I'm proud of the boys. Yeah, I mean, Tanya may not be proud of Danny, but she can still be proud of the boys. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What was, as of very early Wednesday morning, the number 38 podcast in the country 
on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. That is because of you, so thank you, and I mean that. Uh, Well, what exactly was said, what exactly was determined at these uh, committee meetings in West Palm Beach regarding Dan Snyder and the sale of the commanders, we do not know. I do know that we have some good commanders of football conversation for you on this installment of the pod. Uh, Coming up, part two of my conversation with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. Uh, He's a big Commanders fan, and we are going to go in-depth on the team's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, including what to expect from his Commanders offense. We're also going to discuss the value of defensive linemen, particularly edge defenders in today's NFL versus the value of corners, as the Commanders, of course, have franchise-tagged interior defensive lineman Deron Payne have to make a decision on whether to exercise the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Chase Young, have to decide on whether to extend edge defender Montez Sweat. And so you look at the commanders, right? The overall cost of their defensive line is rising, is allocating a lot of salary cap space to the defensive line, even if it is very good, the right way to go in today's NFL. Speaking of money, next segment, I will react to the big news in the NFL on Tuesday. The New York Giants reportedly agreeing on a big money contract extension with quarterback Daniel Jones and the Baltimore Ravens applying the non-exclusive franchise tag to quarterback Lamar Jackson. I have some Commanders-related thoughts on those developments. Uh, I will talk Wizards. Uh, They, on Tuesday night, nearly lost at what is now the worst team in the NBA. But the Wizards did win a 119-117 win at the Detroit Pistons. The Wiz blew an eight-point fourth-quarter lead. But Daniel Gafford, a game-winning put-back bank-in bucket from the left side of the rim as time expired, in the fourth quarter. Uh, this off an airball floater from Bradley Beal, but the Wizards did win. Uh, and I'll hit on Virginia Tech basketball. The Hokies need a super deep run in the ACC tournament to have any realistic hope of making the NCAA tournament. Look, it may well be that the Hokies need to win the ACC tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, well, Tech on Tuesday night did win. Number 11 seeded Hokies beat number 14 seeded Notre Dame 67-64 in the first round of the ACC tournament at Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. Thank you to everyone for all of the nice words uh, regarding my conversation with former Old Dominion football head coach Bobby Wilder on Tuesday's show, episode 522. Uh, That interview got a lot of attention (laughs) given what Coach Wilder had to say about the fractured relationship between Commander's head coach Rod Rivera and uh, Commander's quarterback, for now anyway, Taylor Heineke, right, said to be an unrestricted free agent uh, as uh, NFL free agency gets going next week. If you missed that conversation, brutal honesty from Coach Wilder about Ron and Taylor. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jerry on Eric the Enemy, writes Jerry, in one of your recent episodes, you presented a list of reasons given for why Eric the Enemy has not yet been hired as an NFL head coach. I found most of the reasons to be very plausible. I also thought that your very thorough explanations as to why those reasons are legitimate reasons slash concerns to be right on the money. The one reason, however, that you raised that gave me pause was the fact that he has been interviewed for 16 NFL head coaching jobs, but has not been able to land one. 
While this would obviously be a red flag for anyone in any other industry, I am not sure it should carry the same weight when looking at the NFL, which of course has the Rooney Rule. In order to truly assess this metric of O of 16, it would need to be determined how many of these interviews were held for the sole purpose of meeting the Rooney Rule. Given the number of minority coaches currently in the NFL, there are not many candidates out there for NFL owners to choose from to meet the Rooney Rule requirement. In order to give the appearance that owners are seriously considering minority candidates, it would make sense that the same few names around the NFL would be tapped to interview for these head coaching vacancies, especially a coach associated with a very successful franchise in the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, no NFL owner will go on the record and say that he or she interviewed a candidate just to meet the mandated requirement, but it is not a stretch to think that the intent of some, if not many, of the interviews given to Eric Bieniemy were solely for this purpose. A sad fact, but one that needs to be considered when assessing whether being turned down for 16 jobs is really the red flag that some of us believe that to be. Hopefully, Eric Bieniemy can prove NFL owners to have been short-sighted on not having given him an NFL head coaching job yet by performing a miracle in D.C. and converting the commander's offense to something that the dwindling fan base can rally around. Thanks for all of your hard work, and I look forward to the day when I turn on your podcast <laughs> and the words, Danny boy, do not come out of your mouth. Uh, thank you for the email, Jerry. I look forward to that day too. Trust me. Uh, very interesting point on Eric Bieniemy. Look, it certainly is possible that a lot of Eric Bieniemy's head coaching interviews have been Rooney Rule inspired interviews and nothing more. Uh, although again, 16 head coaching interviews. That's a lot. Unless you think that like 10 or 12 of those interviews were Rooney Rule interviews and nothing more. We are still talking about a lot of head coaching interviews that did not result in Biennemi getting a head coaching job. But look, the Rooney Rule explanation is possible. I've been very careful with this whole Eric Biennemi head coaching conversation, not to dismiss any possibility, because there is a lot in this situation that we don't know. Email from Gene in Manassas, Virginia, on Ron Rivera, writes Gene, I'm a fan of yours and have never missed an episode since I found your podcast at about episode 50. Of course, I followed you for years on WTEM 980. I thank you for watching all sports so that I don't have to. <laughs> thank you, Gene. Continues Gene. I have a PhD in physical oceanography and did research for many years on the statistics of ocean variability and its effects on various engineering systems in the ocean. A little over 20 years ago, I earned a law degree and became a patent attorney, in which capacity I called upon my analytical background to learn about and explain and get patents for inventions in high technology areas using physics, software, and engineering in the fields of optics, artificial intelligence, and biotechnology for research universities. Geez, I mean, I'm reading that. I already feel extremely inadequate. Uh, but what we have in Gene is yet another high-level listener of this podcast, which I maintain has the highest average listener IQ of any podcast in the world. Continues Gene on Ron Rivera. And what I'm going to do is condense what Gene wrote. He lists a number of points on Ron. Point number one, there is no reason to believe that Ron is untruthful. I find people who accuse others of lying are those who have a tendency to lie themselves when convenient. As you point out, Ron changes his mind, and he sometimes oversimplifies or sometimes just trips over his own words, as we all do, but I see no examples of him lying. Point number two, the one-loss record is the most important stat 
for evaluating a head coach. After all, that is the purpose of the head coach's existence, to win games. Ron's performance has been disappointing on this basis. Point number three, the one-loss record is insufficient for evaluating a head coach. It also matters how you got there. Working with inventions, it either works or it doesn't. I guarantee you very few inventions work on the first try. The inventor can see that he or she is getting closer and closer as he or she improves or replaces each component. But just before you get that last component to behave itself, the invention doesn't work, then it does. There was a lot of progress while it wasn't working, but a person incapable of seeing the progress would pull the plug on the process, even though the process was moving towards success. Point number four, not every mistake is a bad decision. Point number five, fast success by another head coach is not proof that it never takes time to progress. Just because the New York Giants and Philadelphia Eagles head coaches had playoff success in their first years doesn't mean that Rod Rivera is doing something wrong. See reasons for why one loss record is not everything. Point number six, you can't win the Super Bowl until you win the Super Bowl. Just because Joe Gibbs won his first Super Bowl doesn't mean that if you lost one, you're incapable of winning one. See Andy Reid. Point number seven, Ron was not stupid (laughs) with his 2022 quarterback decision. Starting Carson Wentz was reasonable for the probabilities. Keeping Taylor Haneke after replacing the injured Wentz was reasonable given Taylor's record. However, when Taylor went winless in December, including two games against the Giants, Wentz was the next best option with hope for better results using the new formula that had won for Taylor. When the playoff chance was over, it did make sense to play Sam Howell. It also was reasonable given Sam Howell's partial command of the playbook to see how the game was going against the Cowboys before putting Howell in to protect Howell from a discouraging start as much as possible. Ron should not be criticized for not even wanting to play Howell because Ron was in fact planning to play Howell. Those who are sure Howell should have started are again looking in hindsight and not dealing with probabilities before the event. And point number eight, the new owner should not fire Ron. Ron has been hampered by owner interference in his quarterback decisions and his ability to attract people. His mistakes are reasonable given the probabilities. There is great progress in spite of these setbacks, and the invention shows many signs that the invention is about to work. Ron should not be a dead man walking for a new owner who has any analytical skills and can see past a simple-minded one-loss record. Uh, Thank you for the email, Gene. Boy, there is a lot to unpack in that email. Uh, Real quick on the Sam Howell point. Uh, Sam Howell absolutely should have always been the commander's starting quarterback for Week 18 against the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field. The commanders had been eliminated from postseason contention. There was no reason to give Taylor Heineke another start at quarterback. There certainly was no reason to give Carson Wentz another start at quarterback. So Sam, 100% should have always been the guy who started that Week 18 game. And thankfully, he ended up being the guy who started that Week 18 game. And of course, he played pretty well in that Week 18 game. I would say this about the whole idea of progress. Uh, You can make progress, but it can not be enough progress. The problem for Washington with Ron Rivera as head coach is that the team has made progress, but not enough progress. And when you look around the NFL and you see big time progress being made by NFL head coaches just a season or two into those head coaching regimes, and we threw three seasons, still are waiting for Washington's true step forward season with Ron as head coach, it's not unreasonable to have doubts about whether Ron still should be the commander's head coach. Like, if you're listening to this and you think that Ron already should have been fired, 
I don't think that you're crazy for thinking that. Now, it may be true that fast success by another head coach is improved that it never takes time to progress, but it's also true that fast success by a number of other head coaches in recent NFL history is proof that it doesn't take three to five years to turn around an NFL team. The one big caveat to all of this is that this situation, the Washington situation, is unlike any other situation in the NFL. The amount of scandal and controversy and turmoil and dysfunction with which Ron has had to deal uh, over his three seasons as Washington head coach is unprecedented for any NFL head coach ever to say nothing of Ron working for maybe the single worst owner in the NFL in the Super Bowl era, Dan Snyder, a.k.a. Danny Boy. And all of that absolutely has to be factored into the evaluation of Ron as Washington head coach. But what's tricky is how much should all of that excuse Ron having not made enough progress over his three seasons as Washington head coach? And that is a very hard question to answer. Well, an easy question to answer is what you should do if you have a case. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace, it is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, uh, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's PolsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Polson and Nace. All right. Tuesday was a tag deadline day in the NFL. NFL teams had until Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern to apply franchise and transition tags to players for this offseason. Uh, the first team to apply a franchise tag this offseason was our Commanders. Uh, they now, two Tuesdays ago, February 28th, applied a franchise tag to interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. The two biggest remaining franchise tag decisions entering Tuesday had to do with New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones and Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Uh, well, the Giants and Jones ended up agreeing on a multi-year contract extension, while the Ravens franchise tagged Lamar. 
Uh, I am not going to go crazy with the terms of this reported Daniel Jones extension because as we have come to know with NFL contracts, there are the initially reported terms which almost always come from agents who frame the contracts in the best possible ways for the players. And then there are the actual truly telling terms, which come out later. The initially reported terms of this Daniel Jones extension are four years, $160 million, with up to $35 million in incentives. Now, what so often matters the most with NFL contracts is the guaranteed money at signing. ESPN Giants insider Jordan Ronan reported that the Jones extension includes $82 million guaranteed at signing. Uh, NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com reported that the Jones extension includes $94 million virtually guaranteed at signing. Suffice it to say, this is a big money contract for Daniel Jones. And so for our purposes as Commanders fans, think about the state of the NFC East QB1s. Daniel Jones now is getting his big money contract. The Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, already has his big money contract, including a salary cap hit of $49.13 million for the 2023 season. The Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, almost certainly will be getting his big money contract sometime before the start of the 2023 season, given that he's entering the final season of his rookie contract and that he just had a monster 2022 season. And then (laughs) there is the Commanders QB1, at least for now, Sam Howell. Here are your remaining salary cap hits in the contract to Sam Howell as a player who was taken by the Commanders in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. 2023, a salary cap hit of $960,400. 2024, a cap hit of $1.075 million. 2025, a cap hit of $1.19 million. Dak Prescott, mega money. Daniel Jones, mega money. Jalen Hurts, almost certainly to soon have mega money. Sam Howell, cap hits over the next three seasons of $960,400, $1.075 million, and $1.19 million. Now, none of this matters if Sam Howell is a bad quarterback. Heck, there's no guarantee that he'll even be the commander's starting quarterback for the 2023 season. But if Sam does end up being the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season, and he ends up being decent, maybe even good, maybe even very good, (laughs) uh, the commanders could have a major competitive advantage in the NFC East for years to come. A solid, if not good, if not very good, starting quarterback on a fifth round rookie contract, while the other three teams in the division are paying their QB1s mega money. From a roster construction standpoint, from a team building standpoint, from an asset allocation standpoint, the commanders would have a major competitive advantage over the Cowboys, Giants, and Eagles. Again, none of this matters if Sam Howell is bad, if he can't play. But if he can play, that is very good news for the commanders, and in more ways than one. 
Uh, as for Lamar Jackson, so the Ravens slapped him with the non-exclusive franchise tag, meaning that he can sign an offer sheet with another team. Uh, we have the non-exclusive franchise tag, and we have the exclusive franchise tag. The difference between the two is that the non-exclusive franchise tag allows for the player to sign an offer sheet with another team. Uh, the original team has the right to match the offer sheet. If the original team doesn't match the offer, uh, the original team receives two first-round draft picks from the new team, although that trade compensation can be negotiated. I know that there are a lot of Commanders fans who want the team to make a run at Lamar Jackson. As you may have seen, we had the great bid from Barstool Sports with ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter this past Friday that conned some people into thinking <laughs> that the Commanders were trading for Lamar. Let me make this clear. I like a lot about Lamar Jackson. I have a lot of respect for Lamar Jackson. He has proven a lot of people wrong. I certainly would not be against the Commanders at least exploring what it would take to get Lamar. But there, to me, are two significant red flags with Lamar. Uh, one is that Lamar, in each of the last two regular seasons, played in just 12 of the Ravens' 17 games. He, in each of the last two seasons, has missed significant time due to injury. Uh, he, of course, is a dynamic run thread, but he has taken a good number of hits. Now, the 2023 season will be just his age 26 season, so he numerically still is young, but you do have to wonder about the durability, especially if you're going to give up multiple first-round picks and sign the guy to a contract with hundreds of millions of dollars in money guaranteed at signing. Like The fact that he has missed a total of 10 games over the last two regular seasons matters, matters a lot. A second significant red flag with Lamar Jackson is, if we all agree that the Ravens are one of the smartest teams in the NFL. And certainly the Ravens' track record suggests that the team is one of the smartest teams in the NFL. And yet the Ravens, who know Lamar better than any other team in the NFL, still haven't worked out a contract extension with them. I mean, doesn't that tell you that the Ravens maybe possibly don't truly want to work out a contract extension with them? And if they truly don't want to work out a contract extension with them, you got to ask why. What do the Ravens know or fear or believe that has compelled them to not do whatever it takes to sign their supposed franchise quarterback to a contract extension? I mean, when you have a franchise quarterback who you truly want to keep, you do whatever it takes to sign that guy to a contract extension. And instead, we have had this dance going on between the Ravens and Lamar for a while now. What is that about? I see and hear Commanders fans saying that the Commanders should give up and pay up whatever it takes to get Lamar Jackson. I get that sentiment. Trust me, I do. But the recent injury history and the fact that the Ravens still have not offered this guy enough to get a contract extension done, those two things for me, at the very least or cause for pause, and they may well be deal breakers. Do I believe that the commanders are in on Lamar Jackson? No, I don't. Uh, the reporting has been that they're not. ESPN commanders insider John Keim on Tuesday morning tweeted, quote, <laughs> hi, Lamar is not coming here, the end, end quote. 
I know John well enough to know that he would not tweet that if he wasn't absolutely sure of that. Uh, by the way, John, I believe, gets stuff from Commander's head coach, Ron Rivera. So I would not be surprised if John got that directly from Ron. Uh, and it could be that Ron wants Lamar, but isn't allowed to get Lamar. You know, it could be that the sale of the team and the cash flow problem that the co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder clearly has are preventing Ron from doing something like trading for Lamar Jackson and signing him to a contract with hundreds of millions of dollars fully guaranteed at signing. But whatever the case, I do think that the Lamar Jackson scenario is not as simple as do whatever it takes to get him. There are some things here that warrant further exploration at the least. Uh, so ultimately, six players received franchise tags this offseason. Deron Payne, Giants running back Saquon Barkley. Yeah, he got franchise tagged on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Cowboys running back Tony Pollard, Lamar Jackson, Las Vegas Raiders running back Josh Jacobs, and Jacksonville Jaguars tight end Evan Ingram. How about the NFC East at the running back position? Two franchise tag backs in Saquon Barkley and Tony Pollard. And of course, Pollard's teammate, fellow Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott, uh, he still is in the midst of a big money contract. In an NFL in which, to me, you should almost never pay a running back big money, the NFC East has three running backs, all of whom are non-commanders running backs set to be making big money. Uh, that is a good thing from a commander's perspective. Uh, also a good thing. In fact, my new favorite thing, my Shady Rays sunglasses. Uh, they look good. They feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of Shady Rays sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. And here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There is no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you've been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. And Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, as we approach the start of the NFL's legal tampering period this Monday, March 13th at noon Eastern and the start of the NFL's new league year next Wednesday, March 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern, we are getting a lot of interesting stats and graphs in the world of football analytics. Arjun Menon of Pro Football Focus, uh, he on February 26th tweeted out a graph of how often each NFL team in the 2022 season, regular season and postseason went run run, pass on a new series of downs. Uh, Going, run, run, pass on a new series of downs uh, often is an antiquated way of doing NFL offense and generally is a sign of an offense that uh, just is not very good. Uh, Well, guess which team in the 2022 NFL regular season and postseason had the fourth highest rate in the NFL of going run, run, pass on a new series of downs. You guessed it, (laughs) the Washington Commanders. Uh, And guess which team in the 2022 NFL regular season and postseason had the lowest rate in the NFL of going run, run, pass on a new series of downs? The Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Funny how that works. Well, the man who was the Chiefs offensive coordinator for the last five seasons now is the commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. And joining us now to talk EB and a lot more with the commanders is pro football focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. Uh, When you hear about commanders players in their PFF grades, that often has been the work of Nick Ackridge. And Nick also happens to be a big commanders fan. Uh, Nick is with us right now for Part two of a two-part conversation, we in part one went in-depth on Commander's quarterback Sam Howell, the top quarterbacks in the uh, now-concluded 2023 NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, whether the Commanders should consider taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft and more. You can find part one in last Friday's show, episode 520. But right now in this part two of our conversation, we're going to talk Eric Bieniemy, Commander's offensive line, and some roster construction philosophy, given that the commanders have franchise-tagged interior defensive lineman Duran Payne. You can follow Nick on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge, and his last name is spelled A-K-R-I-D-G-E. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, Let us engage in some scheduled fun. Uh, If you had to assign a pro football-focused style grade to the commander's hiring of Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. So scale of zero to 100, what kind of grade would you go with? Is this a PFF grade in the 90s? Is this a PFF grade in the 50s? Where you at? 
I think it would be in the 90s. I don't think anyone would, would be yelling at me about PFF for those. No, I think it's in the 90s. I think it's a slam, slam dunk sort of higher. I, I don't know how it, you know, I don't know how you can really get better. I mean, you just get the offensive coordinator for the Super Bowl champs. I mean, it's it's tough to kind of really top that. Obviously, there's questions about how involved he was with the play calling with Andy Reid, but everyone who has talked about the enemy who's still on that Chiefs staff or Chiefs players have always kind of spoke highly of him. So uh, I'm extremely excited. I'm excited to see what he could possibly do with Hal or other quarterback situations. Absolutely. Uh, I am too, for sure. You watch and study and grade the games of a lot of NFL teams. What has stood out to you about the Chiefs' offense over the five seasons for which Eric Bieniemy was the Chiefs' offensive coordinator? Yeah, it's just really unique in the way they kind of generate matchups. Obviously, we've all seen it with Travis Kelsey, and it's like, how can you see one of the greatest tight ends of all time always be running open? And that's just kind of the magic of of that Chiefs' offense. Uh, I mean, you see it with Peterson, Doug Peterson in Jacksonville as well. It's the same sort of offense, that Andy Reid-style um, offense. And they're just really good at creating matchups for their skilled players. And I think that's something we've kind of lacked in the past. Um, I don't think you'll see games where Terry McCorn's not getting a catch in the first half or something like that. I think he's the type of um, coordinator that knows who his best players are, knows how to use those players in spots where, where they can shine. And I'm just really excited to see it. I, th- I think McCorn's going to be great. I think Curtis Samuel's going to be used well again and and yeah it's just gonna be should be fun it's funny it feels almost wrong to say this but the commanders dare i say do have skill position players who can be exploited in a manner similar to what eric Bieniemy did with the chiefs not that we're anticipating the same level of elite offensive production although that would be nice but Bieniemy with the commanders has a lot of nice tools with which to work yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you hear a lot of people say that the Chiefs wide receivers were better than the commanders. I think that's pretty clearly in favor of, of the commanders. I mean, you have Terry McLaurin. We saw what Jahan Dotson did last year. And obviously, like I said, Curtis Samuel is a guy you can use in, in multiple different spots. And we saw that a bit with Scott Turner, how he put him in the backfield at times. But no, I, I think the skill position um, in Washington is really good, especially at the running back position as well. Um, obviously, there's there's questions about tight end, and we saw how effective the Chiefs were with the tight end. But I, I think when you have the the wide receivers and the running backs that the Commanders have, obviously it all comes down to the quarterback. But you know, I think they're in, in a good spot. A big question with Eric Bieniemy has been what kind of an offense he's going to run with the Commanders. Uh, he, on February 23rd, told the Commanders uh, YouTube slash social media team that he's going to be running a West Coast system. I laugh now whenever I hear the phrase West Coast system because that has come to mean so many different things to so many different people. There now are countless variations of the famous Bill Walsh West Coast offense. But anyway, as best as you can tell, assuming that Sam Howell is the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season, what kind of an offense would you like to see Eric Bieniemy run? Yeah, I think you could, you know, just kind of take take advantage of what he did well in college, and that's RPO, quick game sort of stuff. And the Chiefs were really good at it last year. They ran into a ton with Mahomes where he could just kind of quickly, you know, hit those sidearm throws, throws as he's hitting a play action at the same time. Howell probably won't be able to do that just yet, but he was really good in the RPO game at North Carolina. It's something they ran a ton of. Um, you know, And he's a good runner as well. He might not be the greatest athlete, but he can use his legs and he can make people miss in the open field. So I think sort of that, that quick RPO game to kind of start getting him comfortable um, and then kind of work from there. 
We're talking Commanders with Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst and Commanders fan Nick Ackridge. You mentioned RPOs. Uh, I Two weeks ago on the podcast had on his guest Commanders analysts Logan Paulson and Mark Bullock, and I talked with them at length about the Commanders potentially going with an RPO-heavy offense with Sam Howell as their starting quarterback. Uh, him having run a lot of RPOs at North Carolina was actually seen as a negative regarding him as an NFL prospect, but as we have seen with the Chiefs, with Patrick Mahomes, and even more so with the Philadelphia Eagles, with Jalen Hurts, an NFL quarterback can have great success running RPOs. Is there a limit to how much an NFL offense can rely on the RPO, or is the only limit what you believe it to be? Yeah, no, you can. You just have to continue to be creative with it, and we see it every year. You're just going to have to adjust to the adjustments and you know keep adjusting from there. RPO game, it's it's nice to use when you kind of, like I said, want those quick passes, those passes that sort of act as runs. And it's kind of an you know extension of the run game is essentially what um, the RPO game can be. Um, so you kind of just use it the same amount as you would use a running game. I think it's a really effective way to do it. Easily, you can get five, four or five yards on just these kind of quick screens, these quick RPO hitches. Um, and like you said, it was something he did a lot at North Carolina. It's something I knocked him for because – that offense of North Carolina was just strictly RPOs and deep balls. That's all he did. And if that first read wasn't open, he, he took off. But you kind of saw the tools that he he was working with. And when he did do a kind of a pure dropback style offense, you could see him kind of work through progressions and kind of know where he needs to be. It wasn't the quickest, um, but I, I thought he was, he was, you know, efficient at it for the most part. Um, obviously, you know, a year under in, in, in an NFL system would kind of help that. But now you're going to a second uh, offensive system. So, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, he was my quarterback, too, last year in a a really weak draft class. I don't think I would have taken someone like him in the first round. Um, Obviously, to get him in the fifth, I think, is a massive steal. But I think he has the tools to be a successful quarterback. Um, I don't think I would ever really say he can be the tools to be, you know, the elite type of quarterback. But I think he can be a type of guy that, you know, can run an offense and kind of keep you in that, kind of keep himself in that kind of average kind of 15 10 range of quarterback and I think that could go a long way with this offense and something they need for a long time yes it is uh whatever the offense that Eric Bieniemy runs with the commanders ends up being there's no doubt that the team's offensive line needs a good bit of work uh how many new starters do you think the commanders need on the offensive line are we talking three maybe four maybe even a wholesale change of five, like how extensive of a rebuild is needed for the commander's offensive line? Offensive line is so tricky to kind of mess with. A lot of times your best offensive line is just going to be guys that have continuity with each other and and kind of trust each other. And it's similar to a secondary when your best, when you can trust where these other guys are going to be and you know where they're going to be and you can trust them to be in their position and making the right plays. That being said, the interior three was was really poor last year, and I think that's where the big question marks are. Um, I think both guard spots and the center position is a question just because of Chase Rulli. I mean, when he was healthy, I, I think he was a top five center in the NFL, and we didn't really have as many um, offensive line issues when you have a top center like that who kind of can get everybody set in, in a position that they need to be. But you know, the the pickup of Norwell last year didn't really work. The switching of Sam Cosby from right tackle to right guard and right tackle and, you know, kind of rotating him in between quarters and stuff is just never really going to work for a guy that never played guard in his entire life. Um, I, I get his, 
his arm length isn't isn't there with the top tackles, but I thought he was solid as a as a right tackle. Um, and I think if you kind of continue that development, I think he could be a, a pretty decent right tackle. Leno was he had one of the weirdest seasons where I thought he was pretty good, but he just had some of the worst timing sacks that huh. I've ever seen a left tackle huh. give up. And it just it always seemed to be him on a big sack sort of strip sack fumble. And that's tough to kind of really evaluate a guy's full season when all you see is those are those big sacks. But I think he's um, an average to above average left tackle. I, I don't think you change that. Obviously, he's getting up there in age. Um, but it's it's tough to kind of make a full change on that offensive line. I think the chase really a question is huge. But I think you need to look into that right guard. And, and I don't know what they want to do with Cosme anymore, but I think you need to look into right guard, right tackle left guard as well, but they signed Norwell, so it, it's going to be tough. A lot of work is needed for sure. The commander's defensive line does not need as much work, but the team's defensive line is getting expensive. Uh, Jonathan Allen already is under the terms of a big money contract. The team has franchise tagged Deron Payne. Montez Sweat this offseason is a contract extension candidate with the 2023 season set to be the fifth and final season of his rookie contract. And the commanders this offseason need to decide whether to exercise the fifth year option in the rookie contract of Chase Young. Generally speaking, in this salary capped NFL, are you against paying big money to a number of players in one position group? Or should the idea be, hey, if you have good players, you need to keep them and thus pay them? Yeah, I'm kind of like right in the middle of both of those, where it's a lot of it depends on on the quarterback position. <laughs> I know we just kind of break off, broke off of the quarterback talk, but it all depends on that. If you have a guy like Sam Howell, who has shown he can be, if he can be, you know, a successful quarterback, then you can spend the money on these type of guys. And it doesn't matter as much if you're spending huge money on three defensive linemen. But if you want to go out and get a big quarterback, like they try to do with Wentz, you can't afford to do that sort of stuff. And then you're going to have to let them walk or, or try to trade them. I just think there needs to be a better plan with all of these guys, you know, two, three years before they get to this point. I think we've seen it so many times now where you're just playing the franchise tag game and you should kind of know, if you want to re-sign or don't want to re-sign a guy, and if you don't want to re-sign him, you should do whatever it takes to trade him. And I think you just need to have a plan before the year before he enters you know, free agency because then you just kind of put yourself in a no-win situation. And I think we're coming up on that with Cam Curl as well, and I'm a huge Cam Curl fan. But, I mean, it's if you're going to go try to pay Deron Payne, I don't know how much you can afford to pay Cam Curl. And it's just kind of you, you need to have a plan two, three years before these guys enter their contract year. One of the biggest problems for Washington with these franchise tag situations has been the team being reactive instead of proactive, and the lack of foresight has cost the team big time. Uh, One of the more interesting things from Pro Football Focus over the years has been the notion that pass coverage may well matter more than pass rush. In other words, corners may actually be more valuable than edge defenders. At the same time, PFF over the years also has shown us that cornerback play is volatile. It fluctuates its year to year. So if you are an NFL general manager and you're managing your roster, are you spending big money and big draft capital on corners? Because on the one hand, you have their importance, but on the other hand, you also have their volatility. No, I think the volatility kind of speaks to why it's more valuable, because if you can find the type of guys like a Jalen Ramsey and like now 
people coming up like Patrick Sertan or even Sauce Gardner, who just had an incredible year. We obviously don't know what he's going to do in year two. But if you find that lockdown corner, I think that is more important to pay than a guy that you kind of know is going to be penciled in for 10, 15 sacks on the defensive line. Because like you said, the volatility around that cornerback position and secondary position is so crazy that if you can find a guy who can be consistently, you know, a shutdown corner, then I think you need to pay him. Um, obviously it's tough. We've seen it with, with Washington. We've seen Ronald Darby have an incredible year and then come back and be terrible. We've seen Kendall Fuller kind of go through these periods of even this year when the beginning of the year where he was, he was really struggling and then the back half of the year was incredible. I think it's, it's a tough, tough position to continually evaluate year in and year out. Um, but I think if you find, you know, that guy locked down corner, then I think you, you have to pay that sort of guy. And it's why we see these corners kind of continue to go early in the draft as well. Like a, like I said with Sauce Gardner, the Jets hit an absolute home run. He's already you can make an argument that he's the best corner in the NFL already, which is insane to say. Um, so yeah, I think secondary play is huge, and, and a lot of times you just need guys that are familiar with each other, and that goes back to the offensive line thing. And yeah, we saw it. We've seen these past two years where Washington's defense starts really, really slow at the beginning of the year, and I think that's because you get all these new pieces, and they have to communicate with each other. And they're not familiar with where people are going to be. They don't really know how the other one's going to think just yet. And once that all sorts starts to click, you see the defense, you know, kind of really step up and that secondary can be can be really good. That's a great point. Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge, also a big Commanders fan. Nick, thanks a lot for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Yep, appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Nick Ackridge. Uh, if you have like 20 seconds, uh, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you want Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing that. Well, the Wizards on Tuesday night began a stretch of three games in four days with a makeup game. Uh, the Wizards on Tuesday night played at the Detroit Pistons in the makeup game for the Wizards game at the Pistons on February 1st being postponed. Uh, that game was postponed due to the Pistons having been unable to fly back from their game at the Dallas Mavericks on January 30th due to severe weather conditions in the Dallas area. The result of this makeup game for the Wizards was nearly an embarrassment. But the Wizards did win. Uh, they improved to 31 and 34 with a 119 117 win at the Pistons, who now have the worst record in the NBA at 15 and 51. Yes, the Wizards on Tuesday night nearly lost at the then 15 and 50 Pistons. Uh, the Wizards on Tuesday night blew an eight point fourth quarter lead, but Daniel Gafford, he connected on a putback banking bucket from the left side of the rim as time expired in the fourth quarter. Uh, this off an airball floater from Bradley Beal. But yeah, the Wizards needed a game-winning bucket at the buzzer to beat the Pistons. Uh, but the Wizards did beat the Pistons. So the Wizards now are 10th in the Eastern Conference at 31-34, and 34, a half game behind the Toronto Raptors for 9th in the East. You know, the Wizards are six games behind 
The Brooklyn Nets are sixth in the East. The Wizards are in like the ultimate territory of mediocrity. And if you have been a Bullet Slash Wizards fan for any substantial length of time, you are used to the team being in like the ultimate territory of mediocrity. But you look at the Wizards right now, they have very little chance of finishing as a top six seed in the East and thus being in the playoffs without having to be in the Eastern Conference's play-in tournament. But the Wizards also are a ways away from having one of the, say, four worst records in the NBA to have a strong chance of getting a top three pick in the 2023 NBA draft. I mean, this is your classic Wizards season. You are stuck in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Gafford on Tuesday night, 24 minutes, 38 seconds as a starter. He went 4-5 from the field, all twos. He finished with 8 points, 7 rebounds, 1 assist versus 2 turnovers. The Wizards did remain without Monte Morris due to low back soreness. But, you know, this is a Pistons team that not only is terrible, but also is without a number of key guys due to injury, including a former Wizard, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, in addition to Cade Cunningham and Alec Burks and Isaiah Stewart. Again, this was nearly an embarrassing loss for the Wizards. Uh, They did get back Kyle Kuzma. He returned from a one-game absence caused by right knee soreness. Uh, Kuzma on Tuesday night, 34 minutes, 41 seconds as a starter. He went 3 of 8 on threes, 6 of 12 on twos, 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 23 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists versus 3 turnovers and 2 steals. Uh, The Wizards' defense was not good. Uh, They allowed the Pistons to score 117 points to go 13 to 30 on threes and 30 of 54 on twos and to have 29 assists versus 12 turnovers. But the Wizards did shoot well from the field, 12 of 25 on threes, 35 of 56 on twos. And the Wizards did score 62 points in the paint. And a big part of that was Bradley Beal. Uh, Beal on Tuesday night, 37 minutes, 54 seconds as a starter. One of two on threes, 13 of 19 on twos, three of five on free throws. He finished with 32 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists versus four turnovers. Chris Tapps Porzingis, 31 minutes, 40 seconds as a starter. He did foul out, but he went three of seven on threes, five of eight on twos, and five of six on free throws. He finished with 24 points, seven rebounds, including four offensive boards, and two assists versus one turnover. DeLon Wright had another good game. He continues to start with Monte Morris out, and Wright has been doing some really good things lately. Uh, Wright on Tuesday night, 32 minutes, 8 seconds as a starter. He scored just three points, but he had six assists versus no turnovers. He had five steals, and he had a game-best plus-minus rating of plus eight. Also had three rebounds. Uh, He went 0 of 1 on threes, 1 of 3 on twos, and 1 of 2 on free throws. And Corey Kispert, is hot on threes. Uh, 32 minutes, seven seconds off the bench. He went four or five on threes and two or two on twos. Finished with 16 points and two rebounds. Kispert now over his last five games, 16 of 25 on threes. Next up for the Wizards, two consecutive games against the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena, Wednesday night at seven and Friday night at seven.
Well, the Virginia Tech basketball season (laughs) remains alive from an NCAA tournament standpoint. Look, for the Hokies to make the NCAA tournament, they need a very deep run in the ACC tournament at Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. Heck, the Hokies may well need to win the ACC tournament. Uh, Well, I guess, hey, you can't win the tournament without winning your first game in the tournament. And the Hokies on Tuesday night did just that. Uh, number 11 seeded Virginia Tech beat number 14 seeded Notre Dame 67-64 in the first round. Uh, Notre Dame was awful this season, went 3-17 and in the ACC in the regular season. The Hokies on Tuesday night blew a 12-point first half lead in the first half, but they did ultimately win. Uh, not a pretty win, but a win. Survive and advance. That's what matters this time of year in college basketball. Four Hokie starters, Wright State graduate student transfer, Grant Vasili, Justin Mutz, Sean Padula, and Hunter Couture. Those four guys combined for 62 of the Hokies, 67 points. Basili led Tech with 20 points. Uh, Mutz had an especially good game, 36 minutes as a starter, 0 of 1 on threes, 8 of 13 on twos, 2 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists versus 1 turnover and 2 blocks. Next up for Tech, a second round game. Uh, This against number 6 seeded NC State, Wednesday night at about 9.30. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 524, will feature plenty on the Commanders. Also, I on Thursday show will talk Wizards, the Wizard home to the Atlanta Hawks, Wednesday night at 7. And I on Thursday show will talk conference tournaments in college basketball. Do we, on Wednesday night, have the final game for Patrick Ewing? As Georgetown head coach, the Hoyas are the bottom seed, the number 11 seed in the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden in New York City. We'll face number six seeded Villanova Wednesday night at about eight. As we just discussed last segment, number 11 seeded Virginia Tech will take on number six seeded NC State in the second round of the ACC tournament at Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, Wednesday night at about 930. A-10 tournament at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. George Mason is the number five seed. The Patriots had a first round bye. They will play against number 12 seeded Richmond Wednesday afternoon at about two. Also, George Washington is the number seven seed. We'll face number 10 seeded St. Joseph's Wednesday evening at about five. Howard is the number one seed in the MEAC tournament at the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia. We'll face number eight seeded South Carolina State Wednesday evening at about six. Have a great rest of your Wednesday and I'll talk to you on Thursday. I'm proud of the boys.